everybody, this is MG, and I'm Elizabeth Pudwell, and we are Sober Sisters Talk. Welcome. Welcome. So Sober Sisters Talk is a podcast that MG and I do every week. We try to do it every week, and we try to bring to you our experiences working several programs and just share with you what we have come across in our lives. And I like to say, I don't know how to keep anybody else sober, but I know what works for me. And that's what we want to encourage people to do in this podcast is to figure out what works for them. And that's where MG and I are a little bit different because I like to tell people what to do and think that I can keep them sober. (laughs) (laughs) But we just invite you to listen. It's fun and it's also really educational. We cry, we laugh, we do a little bit of everything. We have guests, we work the steps. It's great. So stay tuned to the next podcast coming right up. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. Thank you. Stay tuned. Hi, everybody. I'm MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell, and together we are Sober Sisters Talk. Welcome. I always think sober sisters talking. <laughs> we can do that in the future. So welcome, we can, we especially can... if this is your first time, but if even more so, I guess, to those repeat listeners. Um, MG and I started this podcast just really about sharing our experience, strength, and hope. And um, I found it to be such a blessing to me. You know, I know you do too. It's like a you know, it's sort of like a meeting on Fridays. I really look forward to it. I start thinking about it. I start thinking, oh, we get to record today. You know, I used to go to your place and do it, but we're still social distancing here. So here we are in June. We just started June, and um, MG had the bright idea of um, talking about step six. Right. Step six says... We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And I feel like, and I was joking with Elizabeth, I said, you know, uh, for us white folk, we need to be looking at our defects of character, especially in regards to race. I can't hear you. Did I mute myself? Maybe I put my book on. No, I'm still, I'm okay. I'm not muted. Okay. No, it was me. Okay. So I was telling Elizabeth. That's the microphone. So, Sorry. So I was telling Elizabeth that when I thought about, like, remove all these defects of character, I feel like there's a lot of people out there in the world who are examining themselves and looking at their defects. And I feel that we, as people in program and recovery, may have a little bit more of a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a great platform or great structure edge. we do yeah. especially if you if you go to meetings regularly you get to look at your defects of character regularly right and so uh you know i felt like and i can remember when i was doing this work and i really should pull out those worksheets when i first got into slaa everybody had these worksheets it was these tons and tons of worksheets and they were exhaustive and just a huge pain in the ass but uh, they were really good because they pretty thorough, pretty thorough. And, you know, I felt, you know, I did not realize and it was like through the fourth step that I found out that my biggest defect of character was dishonesty. 
And I always thought <clears throat> that I was such a person of integrity and like, so, oh yeah, look at me. I'm so good. I'm so honest. Me right. too. I was lying. I was lying to myself. I was lying to other people. I was, you know, running my con. And, uh, and so that was one of the biggest ahas. You know where I became aware of this is in an AA meeting. And the guy that was leading, he was like, oh, yeah, my biggest defective character is dishonesty. And I'm kind of like beginning to check out. So I'm, I don't, I don't have any slow recovery at this point. This is, I've probably got a year or two in recovery. And then he starts talking and he goes like, I was such bullshit. I was bullshit. I had all these different personas. I had Mr. Quasi, you know, Mr. Classy guy at work. And then I was this here and I was this guy over here with these buddies and I was listening to him and I was just became appalled. I was just like, oh my God, that's what you, this means? I was like, fuck, <laughs> I do that. I'm all of that. I used to go to um, Little League and Junior All-American games, football games and baseball games. And I would get a big, um, big gulp. Remember those? Yeah. Cup and fill it up with a couple of tall boys beer and take it to and walk around drinking it out of a straw and it's like, <laughs> very clever can i just say that's a great idea i'm the, I'm the mom Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what came up for me when that when when that guy was sharing that and it was like i was just oh my god i felt so outed but yeah that's me i'm not a liar overtly like i do not come out and say you know straight but uh not saying something like i was just talking to you about um not saying something letting somebody you know abuse me use me laying there every night and not saying anything yeah that's me yeah and i mean and that's the gift of the program is that it's like we continue. It's a lifelong process. This paragraph, and I'm reading from the basic text, and this is talk on page 86. We have now moved from a limited surrender of a specific addiction towards surrender to a lifelong process, which would refine the qualities we carried within and contributed to life. So it's like it's a lifelong process. That's why I feel like I'm always going to be going to meetings, always getting to look at myself and figure out what I need to let go of. And um, one of the things when I was reading about step six in here was about how as addicts that we had become accustomed to pain and that pain was a central characteristic to our romantic involvements and even like sexual pursuits. And that for, for me, like pain kind of equaled love so that was a piece of it as well, right? Elizabeth's putting her hand up. So, you know, looking at our character defects of, you know, um, you know, surrendering that, letting go of that, that there was some sort of weird twisted need within me. And I know where it comes from family of origin. You know, I was such a neglected child. My, my mother had like so little time for anybody 
besides herself. I mean, she worked full time. She really was the main bread breadwinner in our family. And so, you know, even me getting a slap or a, you know, a talk down, I, I felt like at least I was getting a little bit of attention from her. And so that sort of like, you know, went into my uh, relationships and then relationship with my father, he was always so quiet and so distant that, you know, I took that as that's just the way men are. And so, you know, for me having to remove these uh, defects of character, you, it, it's like it's there's this reason why I want to say step six comes where it's at because it's after the inventory, it's after we've disclosed everything, and then we get to release all that shit. Can you remember the first time that you really had some relief around step six? No, I still don't. <laughs> no, nice. okay, so there's a couple of things that come up. Like, first of all, I wanted to say something about, I remember I was 12 and I went to Helen's house without telling my mom. Helen lived a couple of blocks away. And my mom showed up at Helen's door, knocking on the door and walked me back. She was really quiet all the way home. She's like, doing this creepy humming. And um, we get home and she's got me by the hand. And I was like, wow, I never even knew my mom knew where Helen lived. You know, it's like, I had no idea my mom cared about me like this. I felt all important. And then she's like holding my hand, looking around. For, and I, I was like, what are you looking for? And she goes, I'm trying to decide what to spank you with. Now she beat the shit out of me with some a spoon or a ruler or something. And, um, you know, I remember thinking like, I mean, it's just like, okay, go ahead. You know, I guess you care. So that comes up for me. The other thing, I think the relief part came when I was able to sit in wanting to, wanting to react, wanting to say something, to pound out an email, to call the other person back and not do it and just sit in it and let it ride. Even, you know, there's, there's so many times I told my boss this morning, I said, I crafted an email, but I didn't send it. I sat on it because I don't like to put those kinds of things in writing. And um, it wasn't an angry email, but it was a, me chiding my boss and another VP for their decisions. And so I, I just wanted to think about whether or not I wanted to do that. Um, but... I don't know. I think relief in, in step six and seven is, is a, is a, um, it's a gradual unveiling. Uh, and I don't even think I was really like that, that meeting when that guy was sharing, about, I was bullshit. I was like, Fuck. you know, um, I think that the, the relief comes in, in the, in the patterns, like, I was clearly discovered my patterns. What I do is I don't speak up. I don't stand up for myself. And then I get in this um, victim mode. Yeah. Look at what they've done to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it's after all I've done for them. Oh, Lord. Yes. How could they treat me like that after all I've done? Oh. 
my yes. God. Right. Yeah. Right, right. I don't ever want to say that. I don't ever want to think that. No. So I think it's really just, um, you know, noticing like what I told you that it felt really good to, um, have that awareness. Like, so I was telling MG, I went out on the date that I talked about last week and, um, the guy said something very, he made a very political statement, not a very, it was kind of a covert political statement, but it was a political statement and, um, it bugged me and I didn't say anything. And then I went home and Sunday, I just felt really emotional and I was just like, Ugh, and I didn't know what was wrong, but here's, here's my step six stuff is that I didn't just like, and this isn't going to work. I don't want to date you anymore. I didn't do that. Right. Um, I went inside and looked at me. So what's going on with me and my, the defect that was showing up was intolerance and kind of bullshit as well. Like I, I feel like I portray myself as this benevolent, tolerant soul and um, I'm picking and choosing what I choose to tolerate. And it doesn't matter. I don't know that this dating situation is going to work. That's not the point. The point is, is that what am I going to do with that piece of tolerance? Sure. Sure. Well, here in this book, in the book, it says many of us ourselves victim of emotional deprivation in our early years had learned to survive by cultivating hatred, anger, and resentment as motivating forces, seeking to insulate ourselves from hurt and fear. So we cripple ourselves in that regard because we're just trying to protect ourselves and you know doing that is a way like you kept your mouth shut i make up because it was like it's too early to know if you're safe enough to say what you really need to feel with this guy right i didn't know what the reaction was going to be so i didn't say anything right right now later you were able to talk about him over the phone so there was some space we did we talked about it he because he called me asked me what well what do you think do you want to you know and i told him i said i'll tell you what i went through you know and it was a few days and i'd gone through the process and that feels really grown up yeah you know sure to be able to to say you know what i thought about this and like well i don't want to you know, and he was like, well, I'll try not, really hard not to say anything like that again. And I was like, I don't want it to be like that. I don't want us both to, like, have to edit, and, you know. And be I don't on eggshells, to... yeah. But, you right. know, but it's about being honest and having trust and, you know, not just keeping everybody at arm's length, but being able to incorporate them in. And so I felt like that's a, a great exercise that you went through because you're you're really kind of vetting this guy. Is he safe? Is he um, empathetic? Does he, you know, want to modify what he's doing? You know, it's like there's a lot of people right now on Facebook that are like, you know, my white friends who are like saying, you know, I'm going to examine my lives and my life and look at the things that I do. And it's really... Um, you know, and they talk in here about humility. It's a really humbling experience to have to go back and to say, I, I got to reevaluate all this stuff. So, you know, for me, step six was, you know, I was entirely ready to let God remove these defects of character, except when, when it comes to the ones that I feel like, you know, help me in a lot of ways. And, and there's still defects, 
but uh, I, I still struggle with them. So for me, and, I, and this is one of the reasons why I keep my house so tidy is because I'm incredibly lazy. So I don't want to like clean or do anything. And so I really push against that. I'm like, no, we're, you know, vacuuming this floor tonight. No, we're going to tidy up before you go to bed. No, it's like, I, I know that character defect is alive and well. And so I push against it because like when I was sick, my apartment just went and it, I just had to let it go because I didn't have the energy to do it. And I realized that I had made progress because I didn't like my place being messy at all. So I feel like everybody doing this work, it's really sacred work to look at these internal blocks because they cut us off. And I'm really proud of you for having the courage to speak to the guy and investigate it and to examine your own ideas and concepts around intolerance. Because, you know, I mean, that that's the next conversation. I mean, I can't have a conversation about race with two out of the three people of my family who I believe are racist. I can't have that conversation with them. Because I know that they're not willing to, or, or at least it's been in my experience in the past. They, they, they don't believe that what they think is wrong. Or they have any desire or need to do that. So uh, I'm really encouraged by you, Elizabeth. Now, I was going to, um, I found this little box of cards. Um, I was cleaning up my, some bookshelves. And this one is the law of surrender. It says, let go of the old and surrender to that which is seeking to emerge from your higher self. And that's what that is for me. That's what this whole process is. You know, if I go back to the, you know, just giving up that drink and all of the stuff that I did to kind of check out, you know. Um, and I do think that the character defects, I mean, I, it, 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 hearing that whole <laughs> we're ready, we're entirely ready to um, remove these defects of character. Well, who the fuck wouldn't be, you know. I right. mean, that just, that just, that's what that sounds like to me. But the thing is, is that there are some that I may not be ready to let go of. There may be some that serve me, like intolerance, um, or like laziness, or impatience, you know, judgment, being judgmental. <laughs> sure. I mean, listen. I like that one a lot in the car. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, like, you, you know. You freaking idiot. <laughs> Well, I mean, but that's the, and, and, you know, we laugh at that, but when we look at like systemic racism in our country, and when I look at like, you know, we need to be intolerant of that. We need to be in the streets right now. I mean, time is enough. It's important to say, you know, this character defect that you're talking about of intolerance, we need to color it, you know, for like, you know, what's appropriate. Like for you, what you're, what I feel like you're trying to do is you're, you're trying to, at the very beginning, hear somebody and someone that thinks differently than you are. And it sounds like he might be willing to, because, you know, he didn't shut the door on you. So that may be that he might be a little bit more willing. 
And I can remember, um, you know, one of the first times that I really had like my, uh, some of my, um, you know, beliefs questioned by these chicks I worked with at Bobby Yega here in Houston when I first moved here in 1990. And it was the first year I'd gotten sober. And um, I'd gone on a trip with my brother for Thanksgiving and I had come back and I was talking about the trip. And I made a, you know, a, I told a story about something that happened and I used a racial pejorative term. And these women that I was sitting with, they were like, you can't talk like that. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm just joking. They're like, it's not a joke. This is serious. And they really, really questioned me on it. And then this one girl who I was friends with really was like, I think you need to listen to this woman, Hitachi Aziz. You need to like, read her stuff on racism and like investigate what she's doing so that you can really understand. And so because these people confronted me about that, I was able to change and to think different ways and to continue looking at that. And this has nothing to do with like addiction, but it's the same process that goes on in our minds. And so, you know, now I believe that you have enough of your own knowledge of self that you can make that discernment of like what to be intolerant of. Yeah, if anything. I mean, you know, I do feel like our whole race needs, you know, to do six and seven on racism and intolerance sure. and the way people live, you know, I just think that like my, I'm, my opinion is born out of that because I understand where I, I don't look like some of the stuff I've been through. And I remember when I was in jail, I've served some time in jail as a result of my getting sober, drinking and driving. And you know, people would start talking to me and they go, what are you doing here? I was not the typical inmate, you know? But the thing is, is that you don't know what I've been through. You don't know my story. You don't know how I came to these beliefs, but I've got to have that understanding and that kind of empathy for someone else whatever his process was to come to these beliefs. Maybe they've never been challenged. Maybe he's always believed this way and never even thought about believing a different way. I don't know. I All I know is that I know how I came to mine. Yeah. And it was a freaking hard, painful, emotional path that I came to my belief system. And they're pretty hardwired now, but... I do want to, I'm not going to change, I'm not going to change my beliefs, but, and I'm not going to try to change his either, but I do, um, I'm just going to explore it, you know, I don't even know that I'm going to tell him how I came across these, you know, because I don't tell people that aren't sober, my sober story, just on a whim, just so I can explain it, you know, it's too vulnerable and too personal. I think that that's, I think that's appropriate. You know, once again, I was just reading, I went on a little bit longer in the book and it talks about uh, working with others. Uh, You know, when we start going out there and they talk about uh, that 
a lot of times, like when we're early in sobriety, when we go out with someone, it's like one of the first things that we say to people, oh, hey, listen, just want you to know that I'm a recovering alcoholic and a sex and love addict. <laughs> P.S. I'm a big old Al-Anon, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, God. It's too much. It's too much. vomit. That's right. And so it's like, you know, once again, your discernment about doing what's safe and what's right I mean, that, that serves us, and that's what long-term sobriety has given me is, you know, does something need to be said? Does something need to be said now? Does something need to be said now by me? It's and a sometimes choice. it does. It's a choice, being able to have that thought process and, and to choose. I do, uh, I mean, looking back, I think maybe I should have said something. I don't know. Like, I don't... Um, I don't know, and I don't like to shit on myself, so I don't, I just, I, I'm just taking it a day at a time. Well, Elizabeth, I think that when we do get to know people, and when a red flag appeared, that was a red flag, a little red flag, like, came up, and so I feel like you're not reactionary now. Right, you have right. some temperance about you, and so you saw the red flag, you felt the red flag, you didn't deny the red flag, you knew about it, it was with you, the dis-ease dis of that was with you, you identified it, and then, you know, later you were able to process it, and, you know, I don't know that I'm ever going to be this completely, like, enlightened person that the minute something happens, I know exactly what to say in the perfect way. You know, that it, it's like, no, I, I could never say that. So giving yourself some time to kind of process and figure it out, I think is, is appropriate and good. And that's, I think that's what it is, is like being able to sit and process and figure it out, you know? I would have been absolutely fine if he never called me again. I don't, I wasn't like, oh, what did I do? Mm-mm. And I wasn't going to call him and tell him, like, what the fuck? You haven't called me? Like, I just, you know, I just, mm, it's new to, this is new territory for me. Well, it sounds very sober, too. You're not getting wrapped up in this guy. No, not at all. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not. Yeah. But it's clear you like him, but, you know. I do. I like him. I mean, it may be that we just end up as friends, you know. Um, you know, but, and that's okay, too. Like. You know, I don't, I, I'm, but I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I've been on dates with other men that are like, no, 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 don't call me. I don't want to be your friend, you know, I'm, you know, but. And maybe the same for you, you know, you could say, oh, that's Elizabeth, my so-and-so kind of friend, you know. Right. <laughs> my liberal vegan friend. <laughs> From California, nuts and fruits, you know. Oh, my goodness. Right, right. I'm such a stereotype, aren't I? You are. You're, and, and you know, if you, it, it, I would expect you to smoke dope, but you don't smoke dope, you know. So that would be I used to. <laughs> I used to. I used to, I've too. thought about it. I know, I tell you. I've thought about it. I tell you. We, we've, had, we've had these discussions, MG and I, like, so what would you do if it was, like, you know, <laughs> the end of the world? Would you drink? Would you have sex? Would you smoke pot? I think I would smoke pot. The only thing is, I only like the way I feel, but, like, the, for the first 10 or 15 minutes, after that, I'm done. Like, I want it to go away. 
I don't want to get the munchies. I don't want to feel tired. You know, I don't want yeah. any of that. I like the high when you're laughing. But then after that, it's like, okay, go away. You just need you a know? couple of hits. Just a couple of hits. I know, but it still does that afterwards. Even if you just have a couple of hits, it's the after party, you know? Well, so it still does it. And like right before I got sober. I think. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, the dope is so different these days. It's so powerful. I know. I've heard. But uh, I can remember I would get super paranoid when I was getting high. I'd be like, oh, my God. Did you hear God. that? What was that? I remember going to the mall, and I was so high. I had to get something for Christmas, and I thought, everybody knows I'm high. And I was, like, looking at them, and they oh, my God, they know I'm high. And I just, I was like, everybody, I was just like, it was a nightmare. I was like, I gotta leave this place. Everybody is looking at me all judgy. Look at that girl. She's so fucking hot. They're all looking at me. <laughs> you know, this conservative. I lived in a very oh conservative God, community. It. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I do think this let go of the old and surrender to that, which is seeking to emerge from your higher self. And I, if I look back over my, you know, pre-recovery days, and even, you know, from the working the steps and all of that, this process to where I am now is that I think we know, I know what I want from myself, and I know what wants to emerge, and I know when I'm holding back and when I'm not. And I think that's, you know, that's what I want to do is I want to be able to go in this, I want to be authentic, and I want to be me and not hold back and not be afraid, you know? Right. Well, I'll, I'll wrap up with this last sentence. With growing maturity, we realized that healthy relationships could only exist if we were human rather than superhuman. And so I, I love that because it's like you're being your authentic, true self with this person. And because of your maturity in program and in you know just general you're willing to do that legwork and be open-minded about the, what the results should be so I think you're going to it from a place of humility and curiosity and uh, and I'm just you know it's it's really it's really inspiring Elizabeth I have to tell you good thank for you. you thank you all right well it's time okay. to wrap up everybody uh, I hope you enjoyed our podcast and we will see you next week. And we will see you. Oh, you know what? I do want to make one announcement. So if you are not attending our um, 12 step meeting, you can email me. You can email silver sisters talk at gmail.com to get the zoom link and we'll let you in. Um, you have to be female, only females. Um, and the other thing is, is we're going to start a speaker, a, a speaker meeting series and next week, one of um, uh, MG's and I's really good friend, Susan from Houston, is going to tell her story. And we're going to record those and then post And we're going to put them on Silver Sisters. So we're going to have this whole section of just like um, hearing, hearing sober women's stories. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited for this part. So just email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com to get the zoom link to join the meeting and then you can hear these and then you know watch out for our speaker meeting series and if you want to make a donation we take donations to sober sisters talk at gmail.com using google pay so if you want to support us 
once the pandemic is over, we hope to travel and go and do some things. We want to come into your city and do Sober Sisters Talk Live. Yeah. yeah we want to come to your conference. If you guys have a, um, you know, if you're in an area where you have an annual conference, a workshop, invite us. We want to come. If we can, if we can scrape together the funds to fly there, we will do it. Thank you guys so much. Until next week. Thank you. Bye. So if you want to get in touch with us, please send us an email at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. Or you can check out our other episodes at www.SoberSistersTalk.com. And we're also on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, and there we have them all lined up. You can see them. You can get a little description. You can share it. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, bye.